The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and a desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to your coaching, so there's always somebody available to answer your questions and to help you adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, the ITL Coaching and Performance website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the United States or outside the United States, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayerX, www.slayerx.com. SlayerX is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayerX was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayerX offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legal enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gel, try SlayerX's new Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them that the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on the website and you'll get 10% off anything that you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, PLEASANT2019. Test, don't guess with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for helping us to bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. This is Michelle Frank, and I am an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. The cool older girl, the guru, is back. Michelle, I am so excited that you are here talking to us today about the Olympic trials that just took place in Atlanta. I am so excited to be here to recap probably running's most epic weekend for the Atlanta community ever. Uh, wasn't it though? It was amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. No, and, and I was excited about the trials, mind you. I mean, I didn't think I was going to get to go because I thought I was going to be in Tokyo. That's a whole other story that we might touch on sometime throughout the course of this podcast, but I didn't think I was going to get to go. I did get to go. Um, and so I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought about it in real concrete terms, what it was going to be like until the last week or so. And then it's so far 
exceeded my expectations. Like, what did you expect? I thought it was just going to be kind of like a race. You didn't expect Peachtree to be lined with thousands of people. I did not. Four feet deep. I did not. Cheering on runners. I did not. And I didn't think either, I didn't think the race was going to be, the race itself was going to be so cool to watch. It was pretty cool. I mean, the way the course was set up, where we watched it from, we saw them six times. Yeah. Which made it super exciting. It was almost, by the time all the men were gone, you got the women's lead vehicles coming. So it didn't seem like you were sitting there watching a sport that's typically not a spectator sport where you see them come through one time in 26 miles it was pretty constant exactly exactly yeah the, the fact that so the women started 12 minutes behind the men the men started at 12.08 p.m the women started at 12.20 p.m and so yeah like you said the men would kind of down and back and then here come the women down and back and then the, i mean just, just the, the way that they were staggered like that but then there was even more the fields were so large that there was some spread in the field too um even though, I mean, the fields were so large, there was a big pack up front that was super exciting, but then they were so spread. They were, they were actually more spread out than I thought they were going to be as well. And so you had the opportunity to continue cheering for a lot of people who were still running super fast, despite the fact they weren't in contention up front. So yeah. that was cool to watch too. Um, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves because we were so excited about it. Because I, I want to definitely talk about like what we all did, but let's, let's go ahead and just come out with the results here at the outset, right? Sure. So making the team. Uh, on the women's side, you had Alephine Tullyamak ran 227.23 for the win. Were you surprised by that? Um, I am thinking that her injury within the last year and kind of the forced downtime that she had basically gave her super fresh legs. I think of the top 10, she probably had the freshest legs coming into the training cycle. And she is a warrior on the roads. Mm-hmm. So she's sort of new to the marathon. Was this her third marathon? She's Yeah, it's something like that. She's new. But she has a million USATF road titles. So right. not a million, obviously. But right. um, I think that anybody who counted her out was, you know, naive to count her out. And I think she showed um, basically that she really – her training looked great. You know, Nazalie yeah. shares all their training. Yeah. Um, and she felt really good. And she was honest about that. And she came out there and – you know, these women, some of them looked really bad by the second or third loop, and she just never looked bad. She yeah. uh, just held back until she broke away, and then she never looked back. Right, So right. Um, I'm happy for her. I would say I'm not surprised. Um, I didn't pick her at the top three, but I think even though I didn't pick her, I wouldn't be surprised if she right. had been top three, which yeah. is what happened. So I put, I put her down as one of my dark horses. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Cause, cause, cause the same thing. Yeah. two twenty seven twenty three. Um, has she won the Peachtree road race before? Um, I don't think she's won it before. She actually lost to Steph Bruce. Right. Who is now in her the teammate. last maybe 400 meters mm-hmm. after they had made that left-hand turn on right. 10th a few years ago. So that was, you know, Steph's first national title. And, mm-hmm. um, she and Steph Bruce and Kellen Taylor trained together and they're constantly one upping each other. You know, someone has a good day, someone has a bad day, they pull right. each other along. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, Nazali has an Olympic trials champion. That's amazing. Yeah, no, yeah, su- super incredible. The three of them trained together in Flagstaff. Um, and like you said, they, they, they put all the their training 10. out there and they all three finished in the top 10. If you, if, if you were not a Kellen Taylor fan before this week, like if you didn't read all the stuff about what she's been going through over the course of the past few months, um, I mean, I was I was pulling for Kellen Taylor for sure. Um, but I think Kellen Taylor always just spreads herself a tiny bit too thin hmm. to be in those top three spots when it matters. But yeah, her story's pretty incredible. Yeah, so, for very sure. Very relatable. 
For sure, for sure. Second place, running her first marathon, an alumnus of Notre Dame, Molly Seidel, 227.31. So, so, yeah, her Instagram, isn't that her handle, by golly Molly? Yeah, and I would, um, I know we don't typically (laughs) plug other podcasts on our podcast, but she was just on Running on Om, and she spoke about her struggles with uh, mental health and eating disorders and how she came out of college, and she didn't sign pro right away because she needed to, you know, essentially get healthy um, rather than sign a big pro contract and chase some fast times and she has an amazing story so for sure on a marathon debut to make the olympic team we've seen it on the men's side before but yesterday was the first time we saw it on the women's side um you have to be happy for her Mm -hmm. i mean you have to be Mm -hmm. her story is footlocker high school champion multiple ncaa champion and you don't really see always see a great transition to the professional ranks so for her to come out and secure a spot on the olympic team is it's awesome. I'm excited for her. It's good for the sport. I agree. Um, so I agree. I was I was very happy to see that. You know, on the the note of qualifying. So so we've talked about before on this podcast about how you could qualify in the women's field uh, for the Olympic trials by running a 2:45 marathon or by running a 1:13 half marathon. Yeah. Only five women in the field qualified with that 1:13 half marathon, and she was one of them. Yeah, she qualified in December, mm-hmm. and her plan was actually she was going to run. The I think she was going to debut in Houston for a marathon. Mm. She wasn't even going to run the Olympic trials, but then she qualified for the Olympic trials and thought, well, why not give it a try? Mm. So, right on, right on. Yeah, she ran like one ten when she qualified, right? Yeah. Yeah. So fast. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, third place, Sally Kipiego. An interesting story there too. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Sally come through the collegiate ranks, and um, she's got some great titles to her name. She's, Where'd she go? Where'd she go to college? she Oregon? Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Texas Tech. That's right. Um, so, you know, she had a baby a few years ago and mm-hmm. took her a really long time to come back. Mm-hmm. I think she's been quoted as saying it just destroyed her body. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually saw her and Molly sort of make their first comeback on the scene for this Olympic cycle. I think it was the Manchester Road Race. They tied. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an interesting, um, you know, and now they're going to go on an Olympic team together. But I would say that Anybody who knows her knew that she was definitely in contention for a spot on this team. She was another one of my dark horses. Yeah. So, um, not surprised, you know, just shows you it's all about who shows up on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a good race and she looked great. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't, saw Des I don't know that she looked great. From, well, I, she didn't look great, but she held on. Yeah, she did. I mean, she made those final right hand turns. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Des came up pretty close to her. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, yeah, kudos to her, you know. Right on. Um, she is. She's a. She was actually a 2012 Olympian. Did she get silver in the 10K in 2012? Yeah. And so she ran 228.52 yesterday. But she was born in Kenya, and so she actually represented Kenya in the 2012 Olympics, and right. has since gotten her citizenship in the United States, and now will be representing the United States in the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo in the marathon. So congrats Seems to, to her. be a controversial topic of. <laughs> not, not, not to me. Um, you know, perhaps we can discuss that at some other podcast. I mean, there are definitely a lot of folks who say, ah, you know, naturalized citizens. I, a citizen's a citizen, man. Um, but and and it's not like she was targeted by the the USOC or USATF or something like that, and recruited to come here and make our Olympic team and win championships. So. Not at all. So, um, but anyway, like I said, we can talk about that some other time. And by all means, if folks you have strong feelings about that, reach out to us on on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever, and let us know. But Des Linden's the alternate. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we see this uh, a little bit of a changing of the guards, almost like we did in 2016, where you had Kara Goucher in fourth place. Um, Des came back from eighth mm-hmm. place to fourth place, came within 20 seconds of making that spot. Eleven, I actually saw ele- her on 11 a, seconds. She ran 2.29.03, yeah. I actually saw her on a shakeout run this morning, side note, <laughs> with Kara. <laughs> nice. Um, so, you know, she said, I fought really hard today. Um I don't want to wear my emotions. I'm just going to regroup and get ready for Boston now. So mm-hmm. she has a few weeks to maybe recover and then ramp it up again. And maybe mm-hmm. we'll see something special in Boston again. Uh, she had always kind of said that the Olympics were not as important to her as the World Marathon majors. But I think she definitely uh, came out with a lot of heart and grit. And mm-hmm. she just shows up. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, she's got all her marathons in the last 11 years are almost under 230 her last 10 marathons so i mean you got to give it to her for fighting every single oh yeah oh yeah Um, that was hard i think people i would have loved to have seen her just one more place a lot of people said that you know i mean it was funny to me the number of people that were pulling for her and predicting her to to actually finish on the podium and make yet another team because she's made two teams already two olympic marathon teams already i'm one of those people (laughs) yeah right on right on very good um, so she will be the alternate, which means that, that she will suit up and she'll go to Tokyo. And if something happens, then, then she'll step in. Um, but, uh, but, but as of right now, Alephine, Molly, and Sally are the three women that will be representing the United States in, I say the Tokyo Olympics. They are the Tokyo Olympics, but the marathon, as we know, is going to be in Sapporo. Sapporo. <laughs> so you know, 500 miles north of Tokyo. It's interesting because yeah. if you look at those three women that are in front of her, they are all extremely injury prone. Hmm. So it would, you know, whereas Des went in 2012, but she was too injured to run, but she started because she wanted to be an Olympian and you yeah. had to start the race. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if those three women make it to the starting line healthy and if they don't, how that plays out. So Interesting, um, interesting. But we have Boston to see her run again. Yeah, and good point. America loves watching her. So Yeah, Boston exciting. is seven weeks from tomorrow. So yeah, so it's soon. So <laughs> so as as Michelle's eyes get as large as saucers because she's gonna be running Boston, uh, as am I. And I'm trying to figure out what my fitness is, and you're like, well, I don't know. We'll see you next week. <laughs> so you have a good marathon next week, or a good uh, good workout next week. So I don't know what my fitness is, and I'm doing a marathon next week. You'll so, be fine. So yeah, so so we'll see. You and got I'm, two miles downhill to the beach at the finish in LA. You'll be perfect. Yeah yeah. So <laughs> so all right. So let's go ahead and just sort of mention the quick side note. As as everybody knows, I was supposed to run the Tokyo Marathon because we referred to it. A few times i thought i was going to miss the trials they canceled the tokyo marathon for everybody except for the elites um, because of coronavirus and so i pivoted to the la marathon which i'm going to be doing next weekend on march 8th so if anybody wants to write me and give me advice about marathon la marathon course strategy i will take it <laughs> because i spent six Mile months four has a really big hill so i have seen that yeah it yeah. is really not fun all right so yeah actually it's it actually dovetails nice with our talking about the trials because you ran the LA Marathon four years ago right about this time after watching the trials the day before right I did I was in LA spectating the 2016 trials it was an incredibly hot day and I think when we started the marathon the next day by the time I ran up that hill at mile four I realized what a huge mistake it was (laughs) to have been on my feet the whole day before gone to after parties the night before and then i think when we started it was 76 degrees yeah um but interestingly i mean i didn't run that slow i ran what was a boston qualifier at the time for my age but um but i was in tremendous amount of pain after that race like (laughs) i remember sitting behind a ups truck because that's where the 
our clothes were mm-hmm. and I just I couldn't get undressed to get redressed <laughs> and then I had to walk to the school bus and I'm sure I'm making you all warm and fuzzy about next weekend absolutely but. <laughs> can't wait can't wait so Patrick uh, Ollinger our, our third podcast companion here completely ignored uh, my advice uh, Michelle's advice to not run a marathon the day after and this morning he ran the Citizens Marathon the Atlanta Marathon um, and and then yeah. he bailed on our podcast. And then he bailed, yeah. <laughs> he said it was actually a super tough course. He finished in the top 15, ran, ran a solid race. Um, but, good job, uh, Patrick. So good job, Patrick. Well done, well done. But it's it was fun to kind of actually look at the results from uh, the half marathon and marathon today, the citizens race, if you will. Um, 13 out of 15 of the top, top 15 finishers in the men's marathon, in the women's half marathon, and in the men's half marathon were all from out of state. I and think then, we saw then, a lot of fast people come yeah. in town to watch the trials. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. 11 out of 15 in the women's marathon were from out of state. And they weren't just from, like, you know, Tennessee and Florida. They were from Ohio, Pennsylvania, from New York, California. Yeah, sure. no, it's great. And, you know, clearly people who ran yesterday brought their training partners with them. So, yes. <laughs> so yeah, which is cool, which is great. The the person who won the, the men's half marathon is actually uh, one of the pro athletes from, um, from Zap. Zap Endurance. Um, but anyway, anyway, all right, let's talk about the men's race. Let's talk about it. Um, winner was Galen Rupp, 209.20. No surprise there. Um, Galen. A little surprise. Why are you surprised? Because I thought he was going to be injured. He ran a 61 minute half three weeks ago. I know, two I weeks know, ago. I know, at the Mesa Marathon, slightly downhill, but a half marathon and a marathon are different beasts. George. Um, no, I. Galen okay. Rupp is I said tactically a, perfect. He I said a touch of surprise. Perfect. Like, there like, was like no way that he six wasn't... percent surprise. <laughs> I don't know why George is surprised. Because him. because Jordan has say that's why. They're not the same runners. I, I agree, they're not the same runner. But what the race that Jordan had was what I thought was a possibility for Galen, and we're okay. going to talk about Jordan. But I think if Galen had had that race, I don't see Galen finishing the way that Jordan toughed it out to finish. I agree with you on that. I think Galen would have pulled up and refocused so that he could show up at the track trials in June. I agree so with you on that. So that he could still make an Olympic team. I, I agree but with you But Galen on that. had no problems yesterday. He, he didn't. stayed right. back. By the time he broke away, there was no looking back for him. He looked solid. His stride looked great. I agree. I mean, I would say he took a gamble with the Achilles surgery and uh, it paid off. I agree. So it's I'd be interested to know if he's running pain free right now. He looked great. I would be very interested to know that too, as somebody who has a lot of Achilles issues and has has, has decided to forego that surgery um, uh, because it's not always successful. So you actually said two of the top three had that Achilles surgery. It was Galen. Who else? Um, so Riley had Achilles surgery. I think if you go look at his, it was either. Uh, it was May of 2018, maybe. I don't know. He okay. has very little social media, so it's one of his more recent posts. But uh, very little yeah, social he, media. He shows his uh, he shows his recovery from Achilles surgery. Um, took a tremendous amount of time where he couldn't even run. I mean, I think the you know getting back just to running on land is is really tough after the surgery. Oh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, two two of the three. I mean, maybe Abdi has Achilles Top problems two. also. I don't know. <laughs> Well, let's, so, let's, so, so we're already we referencing. Him. We're already referencing those two guys. So Jacob Riley finishes second in two ten oh two from Boulder, um, and Jacob Riley was he the he was the top two or three American finisher at the Chicago Marathon when there was like ten guys who did under two twelve that day just this past year in two thousand nineteen. Yes. Yeah, and so and he I, remains unsponsored. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Just an average. Well, so what? Average, what, what? So what I told people is that. 
Jacob Riley is somebody that nobody was talking about. And I listened to like... And they should have been. And they should have been. Like, I, I listened to probably six different Trials preview shows and nobody... Like, literally his name was never uttered. I would agree with that. I didn't um, hear his name uttered once. Yeah, and we didn't, we didn't talk about it. And, and, he, and he's one of those guys that like, oh, people probably should have talked about him. Yeah, I mean, well, I had clearly really they should have now, but I mean, you know. Heard but. his name. I think um, on the morning shakeout, Mario Fraioli had his coach, mm-hmm. the troop, on, um, and he was talking about him and his buildup. And um, but otherwise, there was nothing specific leading up to the Olympic trials that had him on anybody's radar. Hmm. I think even the poll that we put on the podcast Facebook page, nobody oh, yeah. mentioned him. Oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, no. I I mentioned lots of other people and some people that I thought were really good dark horses and stuff, and yeah, they didn't really work out all that well. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he clearly ran a great race. Two two ten oh two. I was by the way, I was also surprised how fast these races were. How fast the men's race two oh nine two ten. The third qualifier or the the alternate runs two ten oh six. So I actually think yeah, I might I was have won that, that poll on what the men's winning time was going to be. Did you guess two ten? Because well, I guessed two eleven. Morgan and I guessed the same. I think we posted simultaneously. <laughs> no, I think I posted two oh nine twenty eight or something, and she. Nice said the same thing so very nice i think i might have won that prediction very nice. um very i thought nice. that there would be a tremendous amount of carnage but i thought that people who thought it was going to be a 213 or 214 for the men were i agree way underestimating how fast this course could still be run even though I it agree. was difficult i agree um, and i think we saw that yesterday so I agree. you're never going to see a 204 on that course right but uh but i think 209 for that course is i mean it's clearly Cooking. great, but yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I agree with you. Like, I remember after Road to Gold last year, after the preview event last year, I was talking to somebody who said, "Man, third place, you're on two thirty three for the women. You're gonna be able to qualify." In my head, I was like, "No, you're no, not. You're not. Like, like, no, it's not. I mean, it's hilly, but we're not talking about people who can't run up and down hills. I mean, right. so it's it's by the way, it's it's, it's around thirteen hundred fifty feet, something like that. Um, and and I want to say that the Atlanta Track Club put out this like thirteen eighty nine, and then of course all these runners now are, are putting out their their put it on Strava from yesterday. And what does it look and, like? And it's about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's obviously the, the the weird variance that you get and that sort of thing that you always see, but but it's about that. Yeah. So so somewhere between thirteen hundred and fourteen hundred, which is I mean that's a lot, you know. Yeah, I mean New the York's Atlanta Track Club. The executive director was what did he was quoted as saying it's atlanta flat <laughs> yeah yeah um i think which, that's accurate yeah i think yeah. it's pretty accurate so yeah. there was never i think the biggest problem people faced was because of the ups and downs um yeah. it's there was no groove right there was no way to just get in a groove and get right. up a hill and recover down the hill it was just constant up and down so. right right for sure for sure uh third place was abdi abdi rahim and I'm, How can you not love that? I, I'm kind of blown away. It's amazing. I'm kind of blown away by that. I mean, so but I think th- this we is. We had a chance. He yeah, okay. Shows so, up every four years ready to make an Olympic team. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, no. So Abdi Abdi Rahim and Bernard Legat are the two people that's like, yeah, they probably won't make the team, but you really you can, can never count, count them out. Count them out. <laughs> right. and, and Bernard Legat finished like 15th, I want to say. He ran 214. Um, no, he was higher up than that. He was like 12th or 13th, I want to say, but but he fin- he ran 214. Abdi Rahim at how old? 40- 43. 43 runs 210.03 on that course to take third place. And that was a sprint finish for him. Yet another I one. I mean, did you yeah. watch that? Yeah. Well, Leonard Career, who finished fourth and is now and the I alternate, ran 210.06. Yeah. yeah. So um, that, yeah. Was, that was hard to see on a screen how close or... You know, it was, but I thought career was getting super, super close. All right, Bernard Legat ran 214 to finish 18th. 
Yeah, right in front of Scott Smith, who I know was one of your dark horses. <laughs> I like the Scott, yeah. Scott Smith, Scott right Fobble. Not their right. days, but... Yeah, Scott like Fobble them. had a tough day, but he said he was coming off flu, yeah. right? Yeah, flu seems to have been part of several of these contenders' uh, build-ups. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know, Des Linden said that, that the workout that she did leading up to, like, the trials in the last few weeks, the one that gave her the most confidence is she ran a really, really good eight-mile workout coming off the flu. And who told you that, George? So, did you tell me that? Yes. Oh, okay. I couldn't I said remember. That to you. So, I, I, I have so many sources, Michelle. Oh, you're so popular. <laughs> All right. So, so let's talk about what we did. All right. So, so it was funny because I was talking to my wife on Friday, and and I was kind of mapping out what we were going to do, and we were kind of talk about it and all that sort of thing. And I was getting texts from you and talking about that sort of thing. And and my wife says to me, you know, you're excited about this race tomorrow, and I think you're going to have fun, but this is like Michelle's weekend. Yes, and I was it like, was I was, my weekend. I, I was I was like, oh yeah. Um, so Michelle, you checked into a hotel. Okay. So <laughs> start um, there. Sitting next to me is my friend in from California, and last May. We booked an Airbnb. And your East. friend from California is fact-checking us along the way, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It makes me feel like we have we have a pro. That's the reason why I was we able to. We have a producer. To, we do. That's the reason why I was able to pull out that Bernard Legat was 18th <laughs> because she just looked it up real quick while we were still talking. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, so we did an Airbnb in Midtown. We were basically at uh, Cypress and 6th Street, mm-hmm. which you know was right near a mile marker one block up. So we... Packed it up. I moved out of my house for the weekend. She flew in <laughs> on Friday. Um, we did the expo. So what nights did you panels. spend in the Airbnb? Thursday? Friday night and Saturday night. Okay, gotcha. we, should, I, we were there at 3 o'clock. They would not let us check in early. But we were there at 3 <laughs> o'clock. But actually, my weekend started... My phone was blowing up already Friday morning from mm-hmm. people who had arrived early. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a few of these moments where I said, guys, this is still a normal morning for me. I got to make lunches. I got to drop my kids <laughs> off at school. I need till nine o'clock and then I'll be excited. Um, so then there was a, a meetup at Pont City Market for a bunch of uh, the Wazelle team. And right then I went to pick up a friend from Maine from the airport and then to the expo. And then we met up and checked into the Airbnb. You bought me a t-shirt at the expo? I did buy you a t-shirt because they that. were going to sell out. I appreciate I that. I thought you would want that t-shirt. So if there are any Olympic trials qualifiers, people who actually ran yesterday and you didn't get a t-shirt, Drop me a line. I'll give you mine because I do feel a little bit guilty about that. No, but no, on, they had plenty of chances. But to only, get their but stuff. On, but only, dude, <laughs> but only a little bit. I, only a little bit guilty. I'll definitely keep it and wear it around. But but if somebody was like, dang, I just wanted a T-shirt from this this once in a lifetime experience I had, you can have mine. That's so nice of you. Nobody I'm a nice can have person, mine. but but <laughs> <laughs> my so, women's size but, medium is mine. <laughs> but 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 you you got me a T-shirt, so I appreciate that. Keep yeah. going. Um, and then we uh, just kind of crashed early Friday night and woke up. Um, I would say by eight o'clock Saturday morning, Peachtree Street was electric. I mean, there were people running everywhere, groups of people doing shakeouts, people setting up to spectate, and the race didn't start for another three hours. Yep. Um, we ended up leaving our Airbnb around 10 and we walked a mile and a half to the start line. Um, got right up there, maybe a hundred meters cool. after the start line. Cool, cool. Um, kind of watched it all. The men's race started and then the women's race started uh, like 18, 12 minutes later. Yep. And then we made our way back to uh, 6th and Peachtree mm-hmm. where we watched and I kind of walked back and forth from there and the ITL tent and was crossing the road depending on what side the women were coming on mm-hmm. um so at, at one point you assisted in the telecast oh yeah 
So when uh, we set ourselves up right next to the one of MB, the NBC camera that was just panning for the start, um, and he had a list of people, and I asked him, do you know who those people are? And he said, I don't know who these people are, but I have to, they each have to get screen time. So I was like, well, you could put that piece of paper away, and I can just show you who's who. <laughs> um, and he really appreciated that. That was, he took his headphones out the whole time, and I just was telling him to like go right or go left and Michelle check Frank. off the people. It was really fun. The it was like human kind of my media dream. <laughs> guide. Right on. So, the human media um, guide. I thought he spent a long time on Sarah Hall and I remember saying something like, you need to go find Molly Huddle now. So just pan left because she's over there tying her shoe. And there you go. He got her standing up. So yeah, that was fun. Um, you know, and then I would say walking back from up from Centennial Park back to Peachtree was madness. I mean, it was basically like you know, gridlock traffic on the connector, but on foot, just trying to get back up to oh, the wow. course on Peachtree. So I've never seen so many people come out yeah, in Atlanta cool. for running. And um, I mean, nothing made me feel better about the state of the sport you know, with all of the stuff that's not so great in the sport right now. The way yeah. that people showed up from all over America for this weekend I agree. was amazing. Yeah, so. it was super cool. Yeah, I, I was... Um, like I said, it was not what I expected in a lot of ways. And one of the things I didn't expect was how enthusiastic and the crowd was going to be and how many people there were going to be there so many people um yeah. yeah i mean and it was great and it was exciting and fun and like and the weather was amazing yeah i mean people came out i brought so i brought my sons um and and i was torn about this because on the one hand i was like all right five-year-old twins that means i can't like roam around the way that you did i thought you it know? was a bad idea so so josh glass i went to see him on friday and he was talking about it he was like dude it's kid-free day just leave your kids at home. And I'm with Josh. I saw so, Josh so. Thursday night when I was hanging out in the Omni Hotel. <laughs> and so, so I, 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 I considered that, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I, I feel like this is something I want my, my, my children to experience. I want them to see it. Not that they understand like the significance of the race, but I, I want them to say, hey, this is something that we do. We go and support these so-called non-revenue sports, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right? Like, like this is this big event. Let's go to it. When I saw um, your kids, they were just overly concerned about when they were going to eat. Oh, it actually worked out really well because we were there with a few other kids. And, and yeah, they kept annoying me about whether they could have another cookie and whether we were going to go get hot chocolate and all that sort of thing. But the streets were closed and we were like in front of this federal building that had this big yard. And so they're just like running around playing in a yard while I'm sitting there watching. And I don't have to worry about them running out into the streets because the streets are closed. Yep. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, and then when I'd be like, fellas, fellas, the race is about to come. And so they'd come over and they'd, they'd watch and they'd cheer. And then and then they go back to go playing back to play. uh, and and yeah it worked out well for me and then we uh, I you would not I, have been happy with my five <laughs> I was very race yeah. focused and we st we stayed in one place um, just because it worked out so well I, I did and, not stay in one place yeah yeah. <laughs> Um, and we had we had kind of said, all right, I was invited to a couple of like watching parties along Peachtree where I was like, all right, if we need to go inside because it was windy, it was super windy and it was perfect temperature for the runners, for sure. like, like right between 45, 50 degrees. Spectating. So, and it was cold spectating, but that's, that is what it is. Um, but it was super windy and with a marathon a week from now and worrying about maybe is my, I'm starting to get a chest cold or something like that, like worrying about that sort of thing. I was like, all right, well, um, Maybe we'll go inside. Maybe we'll even leave early, something like that, you know. Um, but uh, but we end up just kind of staying in one place, having a very easy spectator experience. Didn't get to see the start of the finish, which is, you know, the one thing that I might have wanted to have seen. Yeah. But still worked out okay. We, um, we all had a good to time. watch them come through that 18-mile marker and then 
you know, have plenty of time to get back to the finish. But because of the congestion from getting yeah. from the start a mile and a half back to Peachtree, I was super spent. I didn't even feel yeah. like I could walk back to the finish and deal with the masses of people. And um, people had big screens set up and Big Peach had, you know, a viewing party on the side. So there right. were places to see the finish on a screen, right. um, even if you weren't actually back down in Centennial Olympic Park. Right. So And the finish was super cool. Yeah. It was actually in Centennial Olympic Park on the bricks there and everything. Yeah. And, you know, in front of some Olympic rings, they actually um, um, turned, lit the Olympic torch for the first time since 1996. Yeah, um, I think yeah, that was cool. They, the the way the, the course, course went. still down on Fulton Street, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that was kind of sad is that the actual rings that, you know, that they run under and mm-hmm. the actual torches was not really in Centennial Olympic Park. But. Oh, it was in Centennial Olympic Park, but it's, it's it was next to basically where it was during the actual game. So they've torn down that stadium, yeah. but... but um, or part of that stadium. They've changed that stadium, I guess I should say. Um, but um, but but they moved the, rain, the the torch out of that stadium and sort of put it over the road. And it happened to be right at the spot where they were doing a 180-degree turn. And so, you know, all the athletes run up. They right. basically run under the lit torch and do a 180-degree turn during that finishing, not, not the whole race, but during that finishing circuit that added the the 2.2 miles to make it a full marathon. Did um, we ever um, figure out who did, if anyone special lit it, or was it just Georgia State that? I think it was just Georgia State flipping yeah. switch. I remember um, we were talking on the Fast Women Facebook group about oh, yeah. whether you know Dina Castor or a previous Olympic medalist would would light the torch. But yeah, no, I think they just flipped a switch, so far as I know. But that would have been kind of cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, such such a neat event. Kudos to the Atlanta Track Club. I mean, as somebody you, you, who... You've been to another trial, so talk to us yeah, about that. Yeah, I was in L.A. in 2016, and they were grossly unprepared for the weather. Um, the bottles were a disaster. They had uh, cooling rags on the course for the athletes that they didn't realize were pre-detergent. So the athletes were picking up what they thought were cold water ice rags, and they had detergent you know, in Ugh. their eyes and soap. Um, so, I've never heard that. That is awful. Yeah, it was horrible. Just about everything that went wrong went wrong. The city, LA, had no idea what was going on. Um, there was just no, there wasn't much in terms of, you know, spectators or there was no hype. You didn't know it was going on. I mean, maybe the nature of Atlanta and it's in the middle of Peachtree. And, um, but the Atlanta Track Club, with everything that they did in order to support all of the hundreds of qualifiers and, you know, the way that they set everything up with the volunteers and the fluid stations and the precision, which with the weekend went off, I think was really impressive. So Mm -hmm. um, I've spoken to a few of the people that ran. Uh, Some of them ran in LA trials in 16 and ran yesterday and they just had nothing but amazing things to say about Atlanta Track Club from, they took them on school buses, they got them their meals, you know, they they entertain them Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, everything had a check mark next to it. So, right uh, yeah, I think it was probably a tremendously larger undertaking than they even expected, just with the sheer number of qualifiers. Not probably, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did it. It'd be interesting to see, you know, 
what the Atlanta Track Club feels, if anything, they could have done differently for the weekends. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I, I one of the women I trained with, Lori Knowles, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit more in just a second, she's actually done four Olympic trials now, four Olympic marathon trials. And so I'll have to kind of circle back around with her and, and see how she thinks this one compares. Now, of course, she's from Atlanta. And so there's, you know, obviously the hometown thing is probably makes this one more special than the others, I would imagine. Um, but, yeah, just to your point, um, there are 457 qualifiers in 2016, total qualifiers, men and women, 457. Um, and this year's, there was uh, 771 total qualifiers. Um, and you remember the Atlanta Track Club, as part of their bid, said, we will pay for every single one of those people to come. Yeah, I mean, previously, the USATF would pay if you had the A standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but Atlanta Track Club came out you know, early on as they were bidding to host the marathon trials and said, they'll pay for everybody who qualifies. That's even the person that ran, you know, for the women at 244.59 and right. for the men at 218.59. So right. Right. that was unprecedented. Um, I yeah. kind of wonder how they pulled that off. And- yeah. And, are and, we going to be paying for that for years to come in our race entry fees? <laughs> or do they have an amazing sponsor? Peachtree Road you know? Race entry fees, $150 a person this summer. <laughs> Most yeah. expensive yeah. 10K in the world. Yeah, we'll but. see. We'll see. But, I mean, yeah, to your point, like, so the the, the A standard and the B standard, um, A standard qualifiers were probably 20% of, of the field. Um, yeah. And so that means that, that A standard qualifiers, there would have been about 200 people um, tops that they would have been paying for, um, and instead they pay for 771 of them, and that's that's super cool. Now I shouldn't say 771. So 458 women and 238 men declared that they were actually going to be there, um, and so not everybody who, of course, qualified ran for a wide variety of reasons, including of course injury. Um, a I really high percentage of the men, but 650 total starters. Does that so, sound so right? So it's a little bit more than that. So well, it's probably about that because we, we don't have the actual number of starters. We just know the number of, of people who declared. Okay. Um, I mean we could really go through and crunch the numbers if we wanted to. Um, and so it was right about 700 who declared. And then finishers, there was 390 women finishers and 175 men finishers. Um, so that's how much total, 565 total uh, finishers there. Um, it's and actually they, better than I thought that it would be. Yeah. Um, in, in Los Angeles, they had 254 total finishers, so more than twice the number of finishers um, there. There was a 315 course limit. Um, and so you're not actually listed as a finisher unless you uh, unless you cross the finish line before 315. Um, and uh, and we had discussed if they were going to actually sweep. Yeah. Did they sweep? Did they have to? I think so. Like there was there was early on, it looked as if they weren't. Um, but then when the athletes like we happened to be right in front of the 20 mile mark, and when the athletes came by at the 20 mile mark. They, there was clearly a tail end of the race. Yeah. And there was and, and there was an athlete that was running right about three fifteen pace who who she so had she had a gigantic contingent behind her and then as soon literally as soon as she went past, all the volunteers started taking down everything and right. people started pouring out into the streets. Which we hadn't been allowed in the streets. Like police were pushing people out of the streets. Yeah, we got um, yelled at several point. times for taking one yeah. step onto the street. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, that, I thought about that when you were talking about how, how jammed the sidewalks were. It wasn't like the Peachy Road race where you can just take three steps on the street and hop back on. No. Yeah. No, 
No, not okay. I even crossed at one point at 6th and Peachtree, and I got the cop followed me and yelled at me for not no. listening. So it's like, are you going to write me a ticket for walking in the middle of the Olympic trials marathon? A, a, guy, a guy crossed the street right in front of us, and the cop grabbed him and pushed him back across the street on yeah, the was, other side of the street. It was a little scary for me. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm really sorry. Um, my sons were sitting on the edge of the street and put their feet out into the street, and the volunteers came along and said, you need to get your feet off, back I mean, onto the, the curb. I mean, that's the thing. Is Atlanta Track Club, that, that is a little detail that can make a huge difference for the actual competitors. Oh, yeah. Little kids' feet hanging off the sidewalk. I mean, it's just, I thought it was executed amazingly. Yeah, no, it was incredible. Now, I will say that the same volunteer that yelled at my sons to get their feet back up on the curve, um, late in the race, somebody discarded a bottle, and it went from one side of the course to the other, where the athletes were going to be coming back on the other side. And they were going to be coming back on the other side in about a minute. And so it was soon. And this bottle is sitting in the dead middle of the course, and the leaders of the men's race are like about to arrive. And the volunteers just kind of stand in there. And so I actually said, hey, you need to go get that bottle. And, and take he, the volunteer leave. He, he looked at me, he goes, I know. And then he waited like six seconds. To and then he, you? Then, then, he walked, then he walked over and got it. <laughs> so, so he clearly was like picking it up, but I'm going there to get it, but not because you said so. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but I don't, I don't begrudge him that at all, but, but I did take some sort of, you know, uh, very passive aggressive pleasure in the fact that I was able to, to berate him. All right, so let's talk about some of the other finishers and a couple other issues of interest here. Um, Morgan Van Gorder, friend of the podcast, uh, finished, didn't quite get her goal. Didn't quite get her goal. Said it was the hardest thing she'd ever done. She said it was a super tough race. Um, I asked her if she ever thought about dropping out, and she said, you know, there were these few moments, but then you think this is the Olympic trials, so mm-hmm. I'm never dropping out of that. So, right. Right. Um, she looked. We cheered for her. We saw her a few times. Yep. I, I for um, for whatever reason I spotted you her saw every her time. Every single time. I saw her every time. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know why. Couldn't believe that. Um, yeah. We miss Lori every time. So we, we I I, <laughs> I got her the third time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I got her on the third lap. Yeah. Um, I miss her on the first two laps. So. So, yeah, it was fun. Um, I had only met Morgan from, you know, the interview that we did with her, but it's mm-hmm. been fun chatting back and forth with her leading up to this. And then after, I think if you go out there and it's what you had on the day and you know that you gave it your all and the time or the place might not be what you want, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you feel good about finishing. So sometimes it's got to be good enough because it is what it is. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm super proud of her. Um, you know, not only the friend of the, the podcast. She said it was the hardest thing she'd ever done. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm super proud of her as a friend of the podcast and as somebody who's trained with her for the past couple of months. I'm I'm, I'm very proud of the effort that she put in. Um, yeah, I mean, the wind, and we've referenced this a couple of times. Let's go ahead and just say it. The wind was like swirling yesterday. It wasn't like a steady 20 mile per hour wind. It was such it that... It was whipping yeah. flags in every direction. Exactly. There was no... It was completely unpredictable wind pattern I exactly would say. exactly and and so on this you know this loop course you think oh well the wind is in my face now but I'm about to make a 180 degree turn and so then it's gonna be in my back literally they would it would be in their face they'd make a 180 degree turn the wind would shift and it'd be in their face again, again. yeah that's insane and obnoxious and mother nature is a sadist yeah I remember asking you do you think they're hot do you think the temperature is perfect but I think the sun could have made it hot but the wind was just such a force it was that it the probably wind. just kept them cool um but definitely they probably i think felt like they ran into a headwind for about 26.2 miles yep i agree <laughs> so. i agree yeah so of, of of all the talk about the the potential temperature and and the, the the weather and the the course and all that sort of thing i think the thing and i'll follow up with morgan but i think the thing that made this probably particularly a difficult day was, was the, the wind, wind. I yeah. agree. 
Um, so speaking of Lori, Lori Knowles, uh, other training partner, also from the Atlanta Track Club, qualifying, running her fourth Olympic marathon trials at age 42. She finishes 60th place uh, in 241.58. Good race for her. Yeah, great race. She looks good. She looks strong all yeah. day. So When I saw her, she looked good. She seemed like within <laughs> herself. You yeah. know? I mean, yeah. you could. some people out there just really looked like they were suffering early on, and mm-hmm. some people just looked... You know, like this is what the day was going to be, and it might not be their fastest time, but they mm-hmm. still looked like they were running within themselves, and yeah. felt like she kind of had that demeanor. For yeah, most of yeah. Race, so. She's a she's a mature runner, a smart racer. Yeah. Um, you know, and so she undoubtedly was standing on that starting line, felt that wind, and said, "I can I can make this work, but I definitely need to modify." And so she did. Right. Um, but but yeah, so she she won the the monument the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon a year or two ago. So some of y'all who who've run that and talked good things about that, she was the winner there in two thirty seven. Um, Haley Chura, another friend of the podcast who we had on a year or so ago, um, yeah. qualified at CIM with a two forty three, um, and then of course just has to turn around eight weeks later, of course, and and, and run the trials themselves. Uh, she finished three hundred fourth in two fifty four twenty five. Yeah, I think you know Haley. I'm I listen to Iron Woman podcasts a lot, mm-hmm. and I think she just when she said, "Oh, I think I can qualify for the Olympic trials," and mm-hmm. kind of went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Is she happy with yesterday? She said it was I one. Think, she, she said it was one of the coolest things she yeah, ever done. Yeah, I mean, I think she seems to have enjoyed every minute of the experience. Yeah. yeah. Which for somebody you know who's a professional triathlete who gave the Olympic trials qualifier a shot in the marathon, got it, and then has to turn around eight weeks later and run another road marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great. It's yeah. great for the sport. It brings the triathlon community in. And, totally. Um, she got a lot of cheers. Like a lot of people knew who sure. she was. Oh yeah. So, yeah. It was cool to see her out there. Yeah, for, for, former Georgia-based triathlon, you know, University of Georgia graduate. Yeah, um, she, she had al- some fans here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. She she also has the distinction now of being Olympic trials qualifier in swimming and in running, yeah. which is pretty cool. And so now I guess she needs to try and qualify for the Olympics in, in cycling, and, <laughs> and she will be the the, the ultimate like well-rounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not quite as much fun, um, but and probably it's a little more dicey to qualify too. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So so she finished three hundred four. So good race for her. And like we said, she said it was one of the coolest experiences she yeah. had ever had in racing. And she's somebody who's the first out of the water in Kona. And she's saying that this was the coolest experience she'd ever had. So that says a lot. I think if you can walk away as a competitor from yesterday and say this is the coolest experience, then... For sure. That's awesome. Oh, I, I think that, yeah. I mean, watching it as somebody who runs races, I was like, this is so cool. I, I How cool must this be for, for the competitors? I mean, it must be super cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of uh, ATC runners, there was another ATC runner, Matt McDonald. Um, he had an amazing race. He finished 10th. Yeah. 10th place and 212.19. He looked strong the whole race. Yeah. I mean, he was always, there was a really big pack until there really wasn't a pack. But even when I think the men initially broke away, he was still yeah. pretty much up there. No. So, so, so we, like I said before, we happened to be right there about the 20 mile mark. And that happened to be right about the place where they basically made the turnaround at 19. And, and that's where, I think it was that last turnaround that, and I can totally imagine this mindset where Galen Rupp said, all right, last turnaround, I'm going to turn it on. Oh, yeah. and so they, so they turned around and he shifted gears Yeah. and it started stringing out the race, of course, behind him. Um, and so when he came back by about a mile after that, Galen Rupp was in front, but not by a whole lot. And then people were stringing out behind him and Matt McDonald was in third. Um, and we were, we were fired up. Matt McDonald was in third. He was right there next to Abdi Abdirahim. Um, and, uh, and things were just starting to string out a little bit. Um, and, and we were thinking, oh, man, he's getting – and he, he, he fell apart a little bit in that last 10K. I think he's had some injury issues over the course of the past couple of weeks. Um, but so for him to finish 10th, that's just fantastic. Um, graduate student in chemical engineering at Georgia Tech. 
Yeah. So great showing for the Atlanta track Went club. to the same high school as Brad Hudson. Oh, really? Your boy Brad Hudson. And, my and, boyfriend. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And uh, Allie Kiefer's coach. Um, but uh, he uh, went to the same high school as, as in New Jersey that Brad Hudson did back in the day. So, so yeah. Um, quali- ran a 2.11 last year at, uh, at Chicago and then ran 2.12 just yeah. the other day. Strong runner. It'll be great to see what he does over the next four years in the marathon. Agreed. He's agreed. just getting started. So. Agreed. Um, some other notable finishers. Jim Walmsley, who got a lot of attention in the last two weeks for the race. Yeah, we're part of giving him a lot of attention. We, we, we are. We um, are. I would have loved to have seen Jim, you know, at least in the top ten, I think. Maybe he was a super, super dark horse for the podium. Mm. Um, but he's got a lot of leg speed, and he goes out and runs these crazy fast times in 100-mile races. Mm. So in the same way that Haley Chura kind of brought the triathlon community into the marathon trials, Walmsley sort of brought the ultra-running community in and kind of showed up and uh, just, you know, we can run more than just trails or yeah. more than just 100-milers. Yeah. So he never looked good, though. I mean, he looked – you know, we saw them six times, and I would say by the time – his first loop, he looked a little bit like he was struggling, like he was pressing hard. Um, so it seems this, like this he is had a, a faster, tough day. This is a faster pace than he normally runs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He ran, so he ran 2.15.05, so that's about 5.10 pace. still an amazing um, time. And he finished 22nd. Finished 22nd. Yeah, um, I mean. He, and he, he, this was actually his first ever marathon. He, right. had, uh, he had qualified via the half standard. He ran exactly the half standard, 104 flat. Um, in Houston, and then runs 2:15:05 uh, to finish 22nd. He had said that top 10 would have been a great day, but he's happy with with the way it turned out. When he passed us at that 20 mile mark, he it's looked horrible. horrible. Like yeah. I don't think I saw anybody looking worse than he looked. Yeah, and he so, so, and he was probably around 15th place at that point. And I was like, he might finish like in the in hundredth place. Yeah, I think the way that he hung Um, on the last 10K is pretty impressive. But it makes sense though, right? I mean, you know, this this is the course record holder at Western States, you know, and and the ultra runner of the year the past four years running. Um, But, uh, but yeah, he looked rough, but, but still 22nd for him is, that's a successful day. Yeah. I thought we might see him be a little bit more gutsy, but like I said, from the very beginning, he just, he looked a little bit off. Um, I think if he had felt really good, we might've seen him you know try to push the front a little bit but seemed like he kind of just bid his time uh for most of the race yesterday okay so speaking of gutsy then let's let's talk about uh dan nestor and brian schrader let's talk about these guys that just wanted some tv time (laughs) that were never ever gonna stay up let's talk (laughs) about gutsy dan nestor and gutsy brian schrader that end in dnfs so so dan nestor who i think is 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 unsponsored brian schrader who's on the Saucony team uh they were in the lead by a lot at 12 miles uh they were in the lead by about a minute at the 12 mile mark and of course you know, you're you're looking at them as a fan, and you know it's this windy day, and they're out there doing that, and you've never heard of them, and and you're like, you know, I mean, could it be so much harder than could everybody it be? in a pack? Could no, it be? No, it was never going to be. It, yeah, it was not to be. They 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 both DNF'd. <laughs> um, uh, one of them DNF'd at 16 miles, the other one DNF'd at 20 miles, and so so yeah, it 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 was not to be for Dan Nestor and Brian Schrader, but it was fun to watch them there at the start. Um, a lot of people did think that that was kind of what Walmsley was going to do. Yeah, he he was going to kind of go out there and and just try and throw down, um, and he didn't. He basically. The first time I actually picked him out of the group, he was about two steps behind Galen Rupp, yeah. uh, and that was near the halfway front, mark. So yeah, yeah, and I think that was smart. I think that was smart. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about a couple of other ones. Um, anybody watching on the side of the road was undoubtedly struck by the fact that there were some pregnant women running. Yeah, there were 
there was a. I saw I saw more than just were mentioned, but but w- there's definitely a few that, that we know their names. So there's Lauren Philbrook. Uh, is currently 33 weeks pregnant. She's having a daughter. She made it to the eight mile mark and 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 pulled out. And then she was running alongside Rachel Highland, who's 27 weeks pregnant uh, and due on June 1st. And I think they're training um, partners. They are training partners. Yeah, yeah they, they train. They both qualified in 2016. They 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 trained together in 2016. But then they moved to different parts of the country. And so they're still friends. They still keep in touch. And then they both get pregnant at the same time. Yeah. Um. And and they they ran a lot of this together. They were the ones. One of them was wearing black and one of them was wearing yellow. Um. That, that a lot of us kind of saw out there. Um, I saw at least one or two other pregnant, like currently pregnant women as well. Um, but then there was also Stephanie Sleekus. Who had a baby 30 days ago. Who had a baby on January 30th. She gave birth on January 30th. And she ran a 307 marathon on yeah. this crazy okay. course. Yeah, so, so let's talk. Well, so she ran she ran 314 flat. She finished 389th. Or 390th 90 finishers, she finished 389th. Oh, she ran a 307 in January when yes. she was... When she was about due, about to have a baby. Yeah, so she qualified. Um, she qualified with a two forty two at the Grandma's Marathon when she was one month pregnant. Yeah. Um, and she so was that, like that, running that was last summer. <laughs> yeah, so she was one month pregnant and she runs a two forty two and qualifies. And then on January nineteenth, only a month until her due date, she finished fifth at the Louisiana Marathon, running three oh seven. Yeah. So, she's. Eight to nine months pregnant and, and finishes fifth Louisiana marathon. Then she gives birth on January thirtieth, and she says, "Well, I wasn't planning around the trial because that's like right when my child was due." Right. But, but my I, baby came a little but early. Baby came early, so hey, what the heck? February 29th, I got plenty of time, and so she she ran with a uh, not with a baby, but she 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 ran she ran thirty days after giving birth here uh, and ran like I said three fourteen flat and finishes three hundred eighty ninth. So shout out to Stephanie Sleekus as well. To run thirty days after giving oh, yeah. birth. Yeah, let yeah. alone run a marathon. So yeah, yeah, I think she was probably cleared to run. Period. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she goes, "Oh, I'm cleared to run marathon trials yeah, time." Here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, very good, very good. All right, so speaking of, of other kind of notable people, let's talk about some more of those. Uh, Tierney Wolfgram um, got some attention uh, in the last month or so. She qualified when she was 15 years old, um, and and she was the youngest person in the field, 16-year-old. She finished 76th in 242-47. Yeah, you know, that's a really impressive time. We've seen teenage prodigies come out in Olympic trial qualifiers and run Olympic trials before. It typically doesn't bode well for running yeah. uh, well into their future, mm-hmm. um, but she did, you know, she had a day. Um, she ran a solid race, and she looked good. She definitely looked young <laughs> so, yeah. based on the other women that were out there, but yeah. uh, super controversial the last few weeks, you know, stuff that's been written about her, and yeah. again, hopefully she hasn't read all of it Um because it's not always She's, nice. I, 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 I read that she had been reading some of it, internalizing it, and then she had to quit, which I is good. I would believe her. Yeah, I'm, which is good. I mean, for that a, sounds I mean, like a healthy decision She's a child. She's a 16-year-old she child. child. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think I'm it's always good. curious where, you know, where is she going to be four years from now? Absolutely. Because so, we saw Lana Hadley sort of the same type of situation mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. didn't even make it really yeah, well, I mean, far in college running. So. so, I mean, Tierney, she qualified a year and a half ago. 
Um, and she has essentially been injured since she qualified. I'm sure. Um, and and the most the most striking thing about it to me is that she said she was she was running cross country in Minnesota at the time, and she said, you know, all these races are too short. I want to do something long. Um, and her parents and her coach were like, well, sure. Why don't you run this marathon? And so she she trains for a marathon, runs 100 miles a week. Her her dad rides his bike next to her while she's still on her cross country team. Then she competes in the marathon. Gets a qualifying time, runs 241, 242, something like that. Um, and then the plan had been for her to compete in the state championship cross-country meet four weeks later. Yeah, I mean... Like, like that that fact alone is like, scary. yo, I could have told you that wasn't going to work out. Right. And she ended up dropping out of that. And then she tries to run Nike Cross Nationals four weeks after that She's and drops out of that up. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and so that to me, that was the thing that kind of gave me pause is I was like... If the people around her thought that that was something she was capable of doing, that she's not getting good advice. I think it's you know it's um, horrible. Uh, I so I think any fifteen-year-old should be running a marathon. So I, I I'm inclined to agree. She did have to get special permission in order to, to be able to, to run the marathon that she did, um, and she ran true in Twin Cities is where she qualified actually, um, and uh, uh, but she had a good race yesterday. Um, and so I'm glad race. she had a good race yeah. um, because, like I said, she effectively has been injured ever since well, then. Yeah, it silences mm. a, a lot of the naysayers, but I think. You know, the real question is, is how does it bode for her longevity in the yeah, sport? I agree. So, which is that. what I always care about the most. I agree. So. I agree. I agree. Uh, Sarah Sellers, I want to give her some props. She looked amazing yesterday. Um, I think, you know, the biggest topic of Sarah Sellers is uh, she doesn't seem to be running for Ultra anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, she had on a pair of the Nike Alpha Flies, which we can talk more about that in a few minutes. We will. Um, she had on Adidas shorts. She looked to me like she had on the same purple tank top. She's wearing uh, purple, yeah. That she was wearing when she had that historic finish at the Boston Marathon in 2018. Hmm. Um, Good spot. Nice. <laughs> but she just looked great all day. I think we she ran a one-second PR? Yeah. Is that? Yeah, she, she ran she ran 231.48. I mean, for 11th place? For what? 11th place. I mean, that's super impressive. Sarah Sellers, kudos. Yeah. Great race. Um, I, I, so here, it seems here, like she bounced back from a disappointing... Did she run Chicago that was disappointing? I think so, yeah. 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 She, she She's had, I mean... It's she, she finishes second behind Des Linden in in that that brutal uh, and epic uh, 2018 Boston Marathon and got a lot of attention then because she was a nurse and she wasn't a pro and all that sort of thing and she deserved it but I think that uh, since then a lot of the talk around her has been like oh well the only reason why she finished second she's not really that good of a runner she's just right. tough and that was just blah 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 and then she comes out on this day and finishes 11th and 231 and yeah. so I, I was super impressed with that and I was glad to see her run so well and and she was not in 11th place at halfway no not like, at all like she she, she, she really moved up pack, yeah so. she really moved up well as as there was a lot of carnage there and uh, and she stuck out to the finish so so I, I definitely wanted to give her some 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 credit because I was I remember seeing her and I was like that's what I'm talking about Sarah Sellers I was fired up about that that was cool to see um Two guys in the top ten from the Syracuse cross country team that won the NCAA's in two hundred fifteen. Yeah, go Cuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so when I was looking at the top ten, I was just kind of going through it, and I was like, I was like, who's this Martin Hire guy who finished sixth in two? So two eleven twenty nine. <laughs> so Marty Hire. I said, who's this Colin Benny guy who finished ninth in two twelve fourteen? Um, Marty Hire ends up, you know, he's a he's a medical resident right now. He finishes six PRs by like two minutes in order to run two eleven twenty nine. Uh, and then Colin Benny was actually one of the qualifiers for the half, um, qualified with a half marathon, ran a 102, and then comes up ninth in 2 12 14. Um, and so, they both run for Reebok? So they both run for Reebok now. Uh, they did run for Syracuse. They were, you know, 
teammates with Justin Knight, so maybe that's yeah. the end with Reebok, the right? The Reebok thing is pretty so, impressive. Yeah, so so I was I was super impressed by that, and a couple of names to kind of keep on on uh, on your radar there over the course of the next little while. Um, some not so great races. Jared Ward finishes twenty seventh in two fifteen fifty five. Super bummed for Jared. Um, I just think he's a stand up guy. You know, great family man. Uh, teaches at a university, helps with the cross-country team, had that historic sixth-place finish in the marathon in Rio, and I think uh, he was just really ready to go. Um, Had a great fall, you know, uh, just wasn't his day. Um, But that's just what happens. I mean, that's why the marathon trials is brutal. Yeah. Um, I think with Jared Ward was probably the name I saw the most on the most people's picks for sure including mine and i think most people were saying what i was saying beforehand that if you were to say okay who has the best chance of making the team jared ward had the best chance of making the team yeah he's just but consistent not to win he's strong and but to make the team you expected him to be on that yeah roster. like like i don't remember the last time he had a bad race nope. um and and yesterday he had kind of a bad race yeah um and that happens i he, think he felt bad from the start i don't think he ever got a groove mm. um so sad for Sad for Jared. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's hard to see that. Yeah, you know, he he ran great in New York last year. Ran great in in Chicago or in uh, in in Boston last year. Um, so we'll kind of see what he he reloads and decides to do next. And of course, we'll be uh, we'll be following that. Um, Jordan Hesse finished twenty sixth in two thirty seven fifty seven. Another one of the favorites, fastest qualifying time coming in. Yeah, Jordan's you know has that two twenty one from back in two thousand seventeen, which she ran twice. Um, but we haven't really seen Jordan. Uh, be able to come out injury free and make it to start line healthy uh, since 2017 but she was still you know everyone's she's probably as long as she shows up and she's healthy she'll probably make it mm-hmm. um, you know I think we've <coughs> it's hard to say what took her down the most whether it was emotional from all of the recent stuff with Alberto Salazar being suspended or whether it was physical she said she had her back all taped Mm-hmm. and said that her back had just really been bothering her. Um, but she definitely went for it. I mean, she stayed in the pack for a while, and yep. she looked good until she didn't. And then she really, I mean, she really struggled, even just at the start of the third loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But kudos to her for finishing, because a lot of the top contending women didn't finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether Jordan, she's, What's I don't. I, I don't. I don't think she would come back and try the 10K on the track, but it would be interesting to see uh, kind of where she puts her focus next. So she I seems agree. to just keep missing that Olympic dream. Um, mm. She's kind of like Molly Seidel in that way, mm. that child prodigy, yeah. college phenomenon, but can't you know can't seem to get that Olympic spot. So yeah, um, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I said to several people before the start that Jordan Hesse either like runs a brilliant race or DNFs. It seems like yeah. Um, and this for the first time was. Like a bad the, day. The Jordan has say just strain old, plain old bad day. Yeah. Um, and so you know we mentioned her and Jared Ward at the same time because I think that this is in a different way. It's 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 just something we don't normally see from Jordan has say. Right. We normally see this, this brilliant two twenty one or she's literally limping from the start right. and doesn't finish. Right. Um, and so because she's always kind of a question mark and because she hadn't really had a, a lot of big races in her tune ups um, in her build here, I, I had not picked her. Um, and and but yeah, props to her for being tough and two thirty seven fifty seven and finishing twenty six there. Um, impressed that she finished. She was wearing. Yeah, Nike made her a kit um, that were Lakers colors. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think initially, you know, I remember everybody was wondering, what is she wearing? What is she wearing? And then everybody realized that she was wearing Lakers colors. So right, right. She's a big fan of Kobe Bryant, um, has a lot of stuff on her social media about the Mamba movement and mm-hmm. just, you know, um, honoring him and what he did for the sport and sport in general. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, she's had a rough go. Um, she lost her mother. She lost her coach. <laughs> yeah. I just, you got to feel for her. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And I do. Um, so it's particularly when there were a lot of women who were in people's teams and in people's picks who DNF'd. Um, so just to mention a few here, Sarah Hall, Emily Sisson, Molly Huddle, Roberta Groner, Ali Kiefer, Caitlin Goodman, Lauren Masterson, Megan Krifchen, and Sydney DeVore all DNF'd. Yeah, I mean, it Any was... of those stand out to you? Well, they all kind of do, but... Yeah, talk... I mean, I think that I definitely had Emily Sisson picked. Um, I did too. She had an amazing run in London and she... 223. Didn't, you know, she had said it didn't take that much out of her. Um... I am as big a fan of Molly Huddle as you are. I do not think she has the potential in the marathon that you think she does. I, 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 would, I, I, I don't I, think she's I, a marathoner. I just don't. I don't think so either, And I actually. think that she made a huge mistake in how competitive she could be on the world scene in the 10K by focusing so much on the marathon the last two and a half years. So, uh, But what I think we saw from Emily and Molly specifically, since they're training partners, is they are top contenders in the 10K. If they're not going to you know, get a top three spot in the marathon trials, then I think they probably both got to the point where they just shut it down, um, save whatever they can save, regroup after this race, and then get ready for the track trials in June. Yeah. And they'll need the time. I mean, it seems like a long time away, but this course was brutal. And if you had a bad day, they're probably going to be super beat up. So, um, and I think Sarah Hall just, I don't know. I have to think in some way, Sarah Hall just over tired. Yeah. Yeah, Just exhausting. Yeah. I mean, her runs are. I've never seen anything like that. Oh, and, and she was doing them like last week. Yeah. I yeah. Mean. I mean, so, so yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about Emily Sisson and Molly Huddle. I, 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 I'm a Molly Huddle fan, but I agree with you that, that if she if she was destined to be a marathoner and had great marathons, she, she might have probably run a really good marathon by now. And she's run some strong ones, but she's not ones that... She's run 226 yeah. twice, but yeah. I just, there's just something, I don't know. Yeah. So something something that just kind of misses. Yeah. I mean, she's run thirty thirteen on the track, which which <laughs> translates to like two twenty one. Right. Um, so you know, it just didn't work out. Emily Sisson, for for what it's worth, was my pick to win, and was a lot of people's pick to win. I agree. Um, I put Monty Hood on the team. I put Sarah Hall on the team, and they all ended up dropping out with uh, with a with an eye to other races, uh, the trials probably at least, but um, or something else. Um, yeah, Sarah Hall. Back to her though. I mean. You, you, you can she ran brilliantly last year in Berlin but you can you can destroy yourself and get a good race every now and then right but you can't do what she does destroy yourself never recover and and expect it not to catch up with you um, yeah. and and I, I haven't heard from her um, yet and and we'll, we'll kind of go back and, and see what they all had to say here but yeah I, I just don't I, I think she's just tired yeah um, I'm not surprised that she you know, I'm not and, surprised and, she, and she said this is the hardest she's ever trained. She took everything to the next level. And I don't know what that means when you yeah. already run 28-mile training runs at right. marathon pace. Right. <laughs> so, like, what does that next level look like, Sarah? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'll say, too, and I, I, I will I will completely bracket this by saying that that some of my impressions of her and criticisms of her are, are criticisms that, that are Ryan. born out of the fact that she's married to Ryan Hall. Of course. Um, because that's, in a lot of ways, what I think he did. 
Um, and so, you know, if, if she's kind of taking the same approach that he did, then she ultimately is probably going to have the same outcome that he did. That that she's going to have some really, really great races, but ultimately have a career that's that's more defined by, oh, what could have been? Yeah, um, I think of those three, um, Molly Huddle, Emily Sis, and Sarah Hall, Sarah is probably the most heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't really have anything to come back to. Yeah. She is really just a road marathoner at this point. Um, and she's never made a team. Never made a team. Yeah. Getting later and later in her career. Uh, and yesterday, I think, was really her best shot at an Olympic team. I do too. In the entire you know history of her career. So sad to see her go out like she did. But, yeah, uh, I am too. That's the marathon. I am too. I mean, given given her prominence and, and, and her, her ability, she deserves to have been on an Olympic team for the United States. Um, and she's never been. I hate um, when anyone says anyone deserves to be on the <laughs> So it follows. It makes sense. It yeah. I, I see your point, but 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 I think you know what I mean. All right. Two more quick shout outs as far as results go. I want to give a shout out to Allison Maxis uh, from Austin, Texas. She ran two forty six fifty eight for one hundred fifty ninth place. Good job, Allison. And Sarah Mostatabi for two forty three twenty eight from Santa Monica, California, to finish ninety first place. So good job, y'all. I am mentioning them because. We have Tell their bottles story. at our house. <laughs> so it was funny because, like I said, the, the the volunteers were so vigilant about picking up the bottles. But then after like two or three laps, there's just so many bottles many out bottles there. They, they couldn't do it. And so yeah. they're, they're just getting them out of the way. And so literally, like my sons pick up a bottle in the first lap and the volunteer comes along and yanks it out of their hand and throw and puts it in their bin. By the third lap, they weren't doing that anymore. Nope. And so, so, so my sons were excited. They got souvenirs. Courtesy of Allison Maxis and Sarah Mostatabi. Uh, so, congrats to them on being Olympic trials qualifiers, on finishing the race in 159th and 91st place, respectively. And thanks for the souvenir, girls. We appreciate it. All right, let's talk about two more quick things here, and then we're going to wrap up. First of all, the shoes. Yeah, Nike. Because we can't up not talk about shoes. Cannot not talk about shoes. Yeah. Uh, Nike showed up and gave every single qualifier a pair of Alpha Flies. Yep. Um, so, you know, I saw all over social media and I saw in person a lot Thursday night when I went down there, Friday, walking around, all of these people clearly doing strides, um, trying the alpha flies for the first time right. and pretty much having to make, I think most of them made a game time decision between either the vapor fly and the next percent, which mm-hmm. they'd all probably run and trained in to some degree and whether they were going to chance it with the alpha flies. Right. Um, so I literally saw people do strides back and forth, change shoes, change from the uh-huh. alpha to the next strides back and forth, go back to, so you could tell that people were just, you know, it's the day before the trials. They're torn. Are they going to wear these brand new magical shoes? Or are they going to go with what they know works? Um, they're, 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 they're tried and true magical shoes. So um, I don't love that Nike came in and did that. I think it's horrible. I mean, I guess it's quintessential Nike, but um, I think just putting those shoes in, having all these runners have to make that decision yeah. with 48 to 24 hours before race day. Yeah. Just so you can showcase a pair of shoes. Yeah. I mean, who like what are we doing here? I, I I'm inclined to agree with you. It it definitely I mean it definitely added a layer of stress into into what was undoubtedly already a stressful weekend for yeah. a lot of those qualifiers. You know, um, so Morgan picked up her pair just to just to kind of kind of give some first person stuff. <laughs> when so I she, was in the lobby Thursday night, I was I was like, can you bring those shoes down? I want to wear those <laughs> shoes. <laughs> she thinks she was at the aquarium eating dinner, but um, yeah, I think you know everyone had to make that decision. Yeah, she so she she had them, and then she and I were texting back and forth about it, and I was like, I would take them for a test run. I said, but the default should be no. 
Like, yeah, like, you know, when people were saying, these are the best shoes I've ever worn. Well, yeah, you wore them for three miles for yeah, a shakeout run. Right, like, right. what are you going to feel like after um, 26.2 at race pace? Her, her coach, I think one of the, the, the striking things that her coach said to her was that, you know, you, you shouldn't run in a pair of shoes you've never run, run in a whole lot because what if you get a blister and that blister is going to slow you down a lot more than those shoes would have sped you up. Uh, and I think that ultimately was kind of like, okay, that put a fine enough point yeah. on it that she's like, no. She mentioned um, that to me also. Yeah, and I, I think that's an excellent point. I, and I think her coach was totally right about that. Um, but, um, but just based totally anecdotally, watching the races and kind of watching people come around a lot more guys were wearing them than women i would agree with that um i saw i saw a lot of guys who they just said i'm gonna like roll the dice shoes. so up close i mean mm-hmm. they just look yeah they're pretty insane so. they're pretty insane um it's worth saying that that you know going back to the winners alafine toyamuk was wearing uh, she's sponsored by hoka okay. she's she's hoka naz uh, elite and she uh, she was wearing Hoka's newest Rocket X, I think they're calling it. Is that right? I think so. Um, and uh, and and that's the one that hasn't quite hit the market yet. Um, it's the one that Jim Walmsley was calling the Trials Dagger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's it's their latest iteration of a of a carbon plated shoe. Um, and second then place. Se- second place Molly Saddell was wearing the Endorphin Pros. Saucony shoe. Saucony's plated yep. shoe that's um, that's going to be hitting the market pretty soon. Here they have been planning to I think roll them out on June first, and then because of the I new rules. Think they're going to back it up because of yeah. the new rules. So. Yeah, because the new rules. So so she was wearing those and then third place Sally Kipiego was wearing a pair of shoes that we don't know what it was yeah I mean they're clearly Nikes they're clearly Mm -hmm. they look like the 4% family yeah they look more like the 4% than they do the next percent or the Mm -hmm. Alpha Fly Mm -hmm. Um, but so far I've not seen confirmation of what shoes Sally Kipiego was wearing if you know let us know yeah they were they were a color that that none yeah we've never seen they were unique color yeah so 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 we don't know exactly what we're on enough running shoe Facebook right. pages to right. know what colors we've seen and right. we haven't seen those so. yeah um and then of course uh, on the men's side galen rupp was wearing the alpha flies um uh jacob riley was wearing alpha flies um and then abdi abdi rahim was wearing it looked like vapor flies yeah he's basic you know 43 <laughs> fifth olympic team he doesn't need the alpha well, flies well I, I definitely <laughs> would say that that as somebody who is in his age range i would uh, never as, take that chance i would not take that chance yeah. Like, like you, you have what works for you, and you just don't do that. I think if you're Abdi, you're feeling pretty good about all your race day right? decisions right yeah. about now. Yeah, so. no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> as, as you make your fifth Olympic team. So, yeah, very good. Um, and the last question I, w- I did want to consider, and this is something that I, I put out as a poll on the uh, the Most Pleasant Zoshin Facebook page here, and it's something that I've changed my mind on personally uh, over the course of the past month, and that's should we make it bigger or smaller? So there was a lot of question about whether – the standard for the women, the 245 standard, was a little bit too lenient, and, and perhaps we needed to make that a tougher standard so that less women would actually be in the field. And you'll recall, of course, that the Olympic Games have made the standards more difficult with an eye to actually making those fields smaller. Correct. Um, and so I, I put out there, should we make the Olympic trials smaller by tightening the standards for just the women, for both the men and the women? Should we get rid of the half standard? What does it have to be? Um, and I said, bigger is better or smaller is smarter. Um, what do you think, Michelle? I think bigger is better. Um, I think this created a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for the sport. I think it brought you know dozens of people to levels of fitness that they never thought achievable. They saw the person who they've always been running with that ran a three-hour marathon, run a 2.44, and if you're a woman, you went for it. Um, and I think specifically, and this might be, you know, even more controversial, but I think we need to loosen the men's standard just a little. I agree. Because um, if we're going to have, you know, 500 
almost 500 women qualifiers, it'd be great to see the same number of men have that opportunity to be Olympic trials qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the Olympic standard being 229 now, because of you know the gold label race and the way that the world rankings are playing out and then lowering the Olympic marathon to just 80 people on each side, I mean, the vast majority of the people showing up for the Olympic trials don't have a chance of going to the Olympics anyway, but at right. least let you know, a few hundred people have quote unquote their Olympic day and yeah. be trials qualifiers. Yeah. So um, I think what this four year cycle did for the marathon was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. So I would hate to see them, you know, uh, lower it to a point where it became much more unachievable. Um, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, and I agree that they should loosen the men's standards too. I would suggest yeah. about, about 222. 221. Yeah. yeah something okay. like that. Um, You're and, nicer than me. <laughs> and <laughs> but but I would say though the goal is to make it about 500 people on each side, uh, right around there. It doesn't have to be exactly 500 people or anything like that, but but just kind of right around that side. And and I wonder I th- what Atlanta Track Club thinks of what well, we think well, about well, okay, this. So, so, they so, orchestrated so, this amount of. <laughs> so so that's the caveat, and we'll get to the caveat in just a minute. But I, but I think that for two reasons. The first reason is because of what you just said. I think that particularly on the women's side. So many people know somebody who qualified. Um, And so many people who were kind of close to that standard said, I think if I change a few things in my life, if I tweak my training, if I do something, I can probably actually get to that standard. And that was cool and it was motivating and it was communal. Um, and, and it just really fired up a lot of people inside the running community. I'd like to see that on the men's side as well. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I, and again, I would have said the opposite a month ago. A month ago, I would have been like, oh, no, Olympic trial is supposed to be for elite runners. They need to and, – and I actually think it's still for elite runners. Um, but and but I very much think that if you loosen it for the men to 222 and leave it at 245 for the women, you'll get roughly 500 qualifiers um, on each side, and that's a good thing for the running community at large. I think that's good. Yeah. The second reason is because um, – the Olympic trial serves, I think, a really important function inside the running community, and it's it serves as that carrot for people who are not going to the Olympics, but also for whom qualifying for Boston is like not Chewy. an issue. Right. You know, you need like some other step there along the way. I would agree. You, you, you need you need something else there. Like if, if if I look at myself, for example, so when I was first out of college, given the level that I was at out of college, the logical thing for me was not to try and make an Olympic team because I was not that good. The logical thing for me was to try and qualify for the Olympic trials, and that and that was my goal. But for all sorts of other reasons, I I, I never made that happen. But qualifying for the Olympic trials was a goal that was reachable and attainable. If you make the, the standards too high, too hard, then that leaves a void for those sub-elite runners who are never going to qualify for the team, but for whom qualifying for Boston, which is kind of the next real benchmark, right. is just not really an issue. Yeah, I agree um, with you on both of those And so, so, so I think you need something like that there. And I, and I realize, too, that saying, oh, well, from 219 to 222, that doesn't seem like a lot. That's three minutes. That's significant. For, for, for that for those sub elite runners if you change that by three minutes I don't have the actual date on this if you change that by three minutes you'd have at least a hundred more men qualifying I would agree with at that. least a hundred and that doesn't even include the people who ran 224 right. and never actually considered trying to run 219 right that but if it was 222 probably they probably would yeah so. and so so I, I think you'd have a lot more qualifiers just by adding that three minutes to it and given the positive impact that had and and literally witnessing that first annual state I think that'd be a positive thing yeah. now the caveat as you said, <laughs> the Atlanta Track Club paid for everybody. 
I don't think we sh- that could be the standard going forward, particularly if we're trying to make the fields larger. I'm less concerned um, about the financial outlay for what it costs to pay for everyone who was, you know, a B standard qualifier than just the logistics and the bottles and mm-hmm. um, yeah, how that point. played out and yeah. how many organizations are like the Atlanta Track Club that could pull this off. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe New York Roadrunners, yeah. Boston Athletic Association, but you just don't have um, an entire country where multiple cities have organizations that can do what the Atlanta Track Club just did. So I right. think it would be interesting to hear from them, you know, now that it's said and done, what was the biggest challenge? Uh, what was easier than expected? Um, I know I'm really close with a lot of the people that head up the volunteer stuff and their biggest fear of what could go wrong was the unexpected. Oh, like yeah. Like what they hadn't planned for. Oh, yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, from their perspective. I'm sure we'll hear about it in the media just because it was such a big I hope so. production. Um, so it'd be great to hear their side. And But I do think we're probably going to see the women's standard go back to 243 like it was That's building up to the 16 yeah. trials when they, you know, released it to 245. Um, I think that's what's most likely to happen. And I don't think they'll loosen the men's standard but i guess I we'll so know in about what a year from now yeah 18 months yeah. so I, I i think you're right um i uh, i think you're right I, I i don't think that what we're talking about that we would like to see is going to happen nope. I, th- I think if, any, <laughs> if, if anything they're going to tighten the standards um and so so but we can still want it happen. to happen absolutely <laughs> so. I, we, we can still advocate for it and say it would be a good thing all right michelle final words here on on the olympic trials this fantastic event that took place in atlanta georgia yesterday Um, I think as a general uh, fan of the sport, maybe more than just a general fan, um, (laughs) my eternal gratitude to Atlanta Track Club for basically making, you know, somebody who lives in Atlanta's uh, running weekend dreams come true. Awesome. (laughs) Um, I think that was a great job. So many people came out. um, Everything, even for the half marathon that I ran today, uh, there was still so much excitement in the air that it just felt great to be out there with all the volunteers and all the competitors. And uh, there was a way for you to take part, you know, in the whole weekend, whether it was the Olympic trials or just running the race today. And I think they did a great job of- Even the app was good. Yeah, they made it America's Marathon Weekend. Mm -hmm. And I think that could not have been more true. Um, So, and they got super lucky with the weather. Mm-hmm. Can't plan that, but they definitely lucked out with the weather. So. Yeah, absolutely. We'll take um, it. Yeah, it was an amazing weekend. Let's do it again. Four <laughs> <years>. <laughs> right on. I can't say it any better than you said it, Michelle. So thanks for wrapping it up for us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. Don't forget to reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. We're on Instagram now, at mostpleasantexhaustion. And you can download us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. ITL Coaching and Performance can be found at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, facebook.com slash performance. And on Instagram, ITO Coaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. 
and SlayerX can be found at SlayerX.com, at Facebook.com slash here for SlayerX. That's the number four, here for SlayerX. On Twitter, at official SlayerX. And on Instagram, here for SlayerX. Don't forget to use the pleasant 2019 discount code for 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.